Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew3 Project Podcast. As always, I'm Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew3 Project. And today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Alicia Wood. Welcome, Alicia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be a part of what you're doing at the Jew3 Project. I'm so happy to have you. It's so uh, it's always awesome to meet another woman in this apologetics world. So we talked last week uh, for a pretty, pretty long time. Uh, and it was just great to connect um, and to see we have some like passion. So I'm just glad to connect with the fellow woman in this in this fight. So uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. So for, those, so for those who don't know much about you, can you give a little bit of background about you and what you do? Absolutely. Uh, well, I'm originally from uh, the great state of New York. And I uh, am always home to my state, so I definitely always have a bit of my state really close to my heart. And uh, I work with what's called Robbie Zacharias International Ministries. And essentially what that is, is that we are a ministry that helps to believe and the believer to think. And what that really means is that there, we recognize that there's a lot of people in this world who are wondering whether not there's a God. And if there is a God, which God is he? And so we help people who are thinking through these things, who are wondering if there's anything there, help to understand that Christianity actually provides a very, very good case for not just the existence of God, but for the Christian God. And even for somebody who may say, well, I believe that Christianity is true, what we do is we help them to understand further reasons and deepen their um, understanding of, of who God is and evidence is even for why Christianity is true. So essentially what I do, the short way of saying it, is I help answer the questions that a non-Christian would ask a Christian if they could. And that's basically what I get to spend my life doing. My undergrads in criminal justice and my master's in social justice. So I come from a fairly um, investigative background in terms of the criminal justice piece, and I love to look see look and see where the clues lead. And mm -hmm. I think it actually fits really well here. That's awesome. And I'm, you know, I I told you I love uh, RZIM because that was the ministry that really helped me and the resources when I was going through um, my time at undergrad of trying to really wrestle through evidence and wonder if this Christian faith is really true. So I'm forever indebted to the ministry of RZIM and I'm thankful for the, all the work you you all do. Um, today we wanna to talk about uh, does God exist? And I think we both on this uh, on this interview would agree that he does, uh, yes. but you live in a very, um, a very interesting place where you get this question a lot. You live in Boston. Um, yeah. Why do people ask this question uh, for those who have never questioned the existence of God and maybe wondering, well, how can you not believe God exists? What is kind of the motivating factor behind that question that you discovered? Why people ask the question, does God exist? Mm -hmm. Yes. I think because people ultimately are really looking for truth. Mm -hmm. And I think when they question and wonder whether or not there is a God, they just don't know if any belief system out there actually has everything that they're looking for. Like, for example, is it actually a belief system that meets and has anything to do with the world around me? Does it make sense in this world that I'm in? Does, in other words, what it teaches, do I see the reality and the truth of what it teaches in the world around me? 
For other people, they're looking for a belief system that actually has some evidence behind it. Evidence that there is even a God or that even a particular belief system or religion is true. So when people approach me with this question, generally they're trying to, they're trying to wonder somewhere along those lines uh, in terms of is there any evidence and does it even correlate with anything? Don't believe there's a God and say to me, well, does, does God exist? Not necessarily because we're even seeking or trying to understand, but just because they want to know is there anything to this Christianity thing as well. So I think there's a lot of different reasons, a lot of different motivations that people have uh, when they approach this topic. Mm. And how do you answer that question? Do you have a strategic way to answer that question depending on the person? Or is it kind of a general answer that you give um, in your interaction with this question? You know, that's interesting because I was doing a radio interview once and uh, the, the person on the radio said, okay, pretend I, climb, I, I came on the bus, you were sitting on the bus and I came on the bus with you and I sat next to you and I only had two minutes on this bus. In two minutes or less, can you prove to me God exists? And then he goes, we're going to go to commercial break, but we'll let you think about that question. <laughs> I was like, oh boy, on a live radio interview. But you know, it's interesting because I actually would approach this in an interesting way. I, like I said, my undergrad is criminal justice. So I like to look at where the evidence leads and where did the point. So let me give you an example. Let's say I have a friend who I knew was in a domestic violence situation. And she called me pretty regularly, but this particular day she didn't call. Or this particular week she didn't call. So I go over to her house just to check on her, and I go to knock on the door and kind of open the door handle. When I do that, the door pops open. I walk into the house, and maybe I see blood on the walls, or maybe I see the house completely disheveled, and I'm calling out, and I don't hear anything. Based off everything that I've just seen and experienced, is it irrational for me to conclude that something happened here? Um, now, it doesn't necessarily mean that there was a domestic violence situation, Although that seems likely because of I already knew the dynamics of the house. But it also could be that maybe a wild animal was able to break into the house and cause chaos in the house. I mean, there are potentially other possibilities. But if I conclude that she that happened between her and her husband, I don't think anybody would find me to be irrational at that point. In other words, what I'm doing is I'm looking at the different clues that are laid out. And the best explanation that fits all of the clues is that a violent uh, situation happened here between her and her husband. So even if I went back to the animal, I said, well, maybe an animal ran through here. Well, that may explain the blood on the walls, that makes me the disheveled house. But it doesn't explain the fact that she didn't come. Mm -hmm. It doesn't explain the fact that the door necessarily opened. There could be another explanation. So what best fits all of the, um, the clues? And so I would conclude, well, I think something's happened here. Maybe I need to call the police. Same approach to this idea of does God exist? I don't think there's one particular thing outside of the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus that, that may conclusively prove that the Christian God exists. I think the, the, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is very overwhelming. And I think that alone, if Jesus really did die and rise from the dead like he says he did and said he would, um, then that seems to me to be pretty compelling evidence that we might want to listen to what this person said. You know, we all know that people don't usually rise from the dead. And so if this person does, maybe we should listen to him. But putting that one piece aside, looking at the world around me, I see a world that struggles with trying to determine what's right or wrong, but yet we feel that certain things are right and wrong. We hear certain abuses that happen to children. 
or we see certain things that are going on in the world, we say that is wrong. In other words, we have the sense that there is a right and a wrong in this world, the sense of morality. I think we all wonder how in the world did we get here? This world that we look around us is so amazing, we're so happy to be alive, but how did we get here? This origin of the universe, I think, is answered by the existence of God. I think this idea of the fact that the universe is so precisely designed and fine-tuned, not just for life to exist, or not just for the world to exist, but for us, us humans, life and animals, and all these things to actually exist. Uh, I think also the existence of the Christian God is the best explanation for the life of Jesus, period. Um, the fact that this man has been the most influential man in history uh, means something. So you have the morality of the fact that we feel this natural desire to adhere to certain rules of right and wrong, the origins, how we got here, um, the fine-tuning of the universe, who Jesus was, how he explained his existence. You have the meaning and purpose of our life. It is the fact that we desire to have a meaning. It's, we want to know that it matters what we do. It matters what we say. Uh, and, and then you go on and on and on with a bunch of lists of different reasons why we could point to different clues that are saying, looks like something's there. And so then what you do is you look and say, well, is there anything, anything specific in here that tells us which God actually it is that exists? And to me, when you add in the Jesus piece, you add in the credibility and the evidence for the accuracy of the Bible, you add in the pieces of evidence to resurrection, now you're starting to just say, not say, oh, there's just a God, but there's a Christian God. And so I guess I would say, when people ask me this question, I couldn't do it in two minutes. I don't think it's, it, I don't think I would try and, and belittle this, the importance of that question and try and cram it into two minutes. Like I think I would want to give it the time that it deserves. And I would say, let's look at all of these different clues, these different hints. And what is the best possible explanation that answers every single one of them? And to me, it's not just that God exists, but that it's that Christian God exists. Amen. I like the way you uh, framed that. Um, when I look at um, J. Dodis Roberts, uh, a, a famous um, black liberation or black theologian, um, once said that the in the African-American community, the existence of God is not at question, mm -hmm. but the character of God is. And so he kind of suggests that there's not many African-American atheists. Um, and that's something he said back in the early 90s. But we're seeing that in and, and now in 2016, there's a rise of atheism in African-American communities. Um, yeah. Lana Starr uh, produced an article talking about the rise of atheism in African-American communities. Um, do you, why do you think uh, that would be? Do you think that because more African-Americans are going away to college and being exposed to ideas that are different um, than they've been raised? Or do you think the problem of suffering in the context kind of produces that? Sure, no, that's a really good question. I think it is because, and I guess this would be my opinion and my thought on this, is I don't know if as a church over the last few generations, we have done as good of a job as providing some um, like larger big picture foundational evidences and proofs for Christianity. So what we're essentially done is saying, hey, believe in this, believe this, you know, here's the Bible and all of these things. This is what we should be doing. We should be teaching the Bible. We should be teaching the word. We should be in, um, encouraging worship and all of these things. But we don't prepare our Christians 
Or what happens when somebody who's not a Christian begins to ask you, how do you know it's true? Or begins to ask you, how do you know the Bible hasn't been corrupted or hasn't been changed? And so it throws us into the situation of like, whoa, wait a minute, I don't know if I know what to do with this. And I've never asked myself these questions before. And well, maybe there aren't answers. And I think what would happen is people assume that there aren't answers to these questions. Mm -hmm. So somebody raises a question of suffering, or somebody somebody um, critiques the credibility of the Bible. It was written by a bunch of, um, or it was a legend that was made up, or they borrowed stories from different religions and combined them, whatever they may say. And the Christian feels like, oh, I, um, uh, I, and they don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't an answer to those questions. I, in fact, I encountered very few questions that people at some point in history have been asked already. The questions people ask today are a lot very similar to questions people have asked over centuries. Philosophers have asked over centuries. Now, they're tweaked a little bit more to the more modern-day culture. Uh, but there's answers to these questions, and people have, people have looked into these things. So I think what happens is people are saying, they're right. The Bible, there's no evidence for the Bible, and therefore, I, I just can't believe this. I have to walk, I, and they walk away and just say, therefore, it's not true. As opposed to saying, hmm, I'm doubting this. I'm questioning this. Is there a way that I can find answers? Is there a resource out there for me that gives me the answers? I would be lying to you if I looked at you and said, I've never doubted Christianity since I became a Christian. I absolutely have doubted Christianity. And I think when, when we doubt, I think sometimes that makes people very nervous about maybe God's angry with me or maybe God is upset with me or maybe I'm doubting because there isn't a God. And there is shame and there's all these feelings that people experience as opposed to saying, or, and that's okay. I mean, I think it's okay to, to, to feel a sense of what do I do? I don't think it's okay to feel a sense of shame and God hates me or any of these kind of things. I think what we do is we say, I don't know what to do with this. I'm, this is making me doubt. So the response is, let's go find the answer. Okay. And I think that's where we need to go. And I think a lot of people just aren't taking that step to find the answer. And that really could be just because they don't know that there's resources out there. Um, but Google is great. You can Google a lot of things. And if you know the right places to go to, you can get several <laughs> answers. Um, but there's a lot of wrong places that you can go to that will give you the wrong answers. So I think that that's a big reason why. I just don't think that we've, we've equipped people enough to respond to people who do not share the same belief system that they do. And I think people are just panicking and, and walking out. I think another reason too, which is much quicker and easier is or simpler to explain, is just the fact that I think some people are just kind of like, I want to do my own thing. I don't really want God to exist or I kind of just want to live my life and I know that there's certain things I should and shouldn't be doing if I am a Christian. So I think I just don't really want this anymore. And I think the world has a beautiful pull on people to just leave some of these beliefs that they have and embrace whatever complete freedom is and embrace whatever, fulfill the desires of, your, of whatever you want to do and don't hold back. And I think many people find that attractive. And so I think that's another reason too why people mm -hmm. in the church walk away. Mm -hmm. um, I know one of the uh, biggest obstacles to the existence of God is the problem of evil. How do you, um, in your interaction with people on campus, campuses and just out and about, kind of answer that question when people say, well, if God is all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing, and why does he allow suffering? He must not exist if, he is all, if he's all-powerful and all-loving and all-knowing. Yeah. 
you know, that's um, that's probably one of the biggest questions that people have been asking for centuries about God, the existence of God in terms of belief systems that say God is good and that he's powerful. Because there's this natural association that we have that if God is good and powerful, he would therefore not never allow anything bad to happen. And that isn't necessarily a logical conclusion. Powerful and all good and all powerful and allow bad things to happen if he knows that there is a greater and a better reason if he allows them to happen. And I think the primary reason that he allows them is for this, this idea that he wants all of us here on earth to experience relationship with him and relationship with other people. In other words, he wants us to experience love. He wants us to experience um, what genuine friendship and relationship is like. And any time you have a situation like that, you have to give people the freedom to enter into relationship or not. Let me give you an example. Uh, let's say I bring a couple in here who are in their 80s and they've been married for, I don't know, 60 years. And I say to this man, you know, you've been married to her for 60 years. Why her? Why did you pick her? You know, there's all these women in the world. What was so special about her? And actually, see, she was the only person in my town. She was the only female in my town. So I really didn't have a choice. Okay. How would that make the wife feel? What if he answered it this way? What if he said, you know, Alicia, that's a good question. When I... Uh, when she first walked into the room, I was actually interested in somebody else. But then I saw her, and I thought there might be something special about her. I began to talk to her, and I began to know, learn more about her. And I realized that there is something special about her, and I want to date her. Now, doesn't that change the way in which she feels love from him? In other words, he had other opportunities and other things available, other possibilities available to him, but he chose her. In other words, his love is so genuine for her because it's not forced or compelled. He wants to love her. And she, therefore, in turn, receives that love and wants to love him back. God can be good, and he can be powerful and all-loving if he recognizes and if he believes, which I would agree with, if he believes that, you know what? If I create a world in which it was impossible for somebody to, 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 to say, I don't want God. And I've created a world which has limited their ability to experience things such as love, limited their ability to experience something such as beautiful, true, and genuine relationship with God. Because we would all have to serve God because we don't have a choice to serve, to not serve him. It's a world in which he's the only option. Like she's the only woman in the town. He's the only God in town. I have no other choice. So I guess I better serve you, God. It changes the nature of a relationship. And so it comes with a cost. God giving us this free will to choose him comes at a cost because I can also say, not only do I not choose God, but I also don't choose love. I choose hatred. I chose, choose bitterness. I choose anger. I choose wrath. I choose lying. And we can take that same free will that God gives us to enter into something beautiful, a beautiful relationship with him, and we take it and we instead use our free will to cause harm and pain and hurt to others. And so, yes, there's a sense in which, well, should God then intervene in every bit of suffering that we do, that we impose on other people? Breaks all these things that happen. It's like, well, let's think about that. You've made me mad. I'm upset with you. So I go to punch you, and God freezes my arm, so I don't punch you. Okay? What has God done but just inhibited my free will? If all he does is intervene every single time, then I really don't have free will. I don't have the ability to be free. 
There are times when God does intervene and all the suffering and the pain that we see around us is what God has allowed. But we also have to remember that there's a lot of stuff that God has kept us from. And we don't always think about that. Um, this world could be a whole lot worse. It would be a whole lot worse if there weren't things that God protected us from. So it's a very brief and condensed answer. I mean, obviously there are books and books written on this and there's many other philosophical answers that we could go into. But that's just a kind of a little synopsis of why just at the, at the core foundation, God creates a world in which it is possible for um, suffering and for evil and all these things to happen. As he creates that world so people can freely choose him, freely choose to experience life with each other. And it, of course, it comes with a cost. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, it's always interesting um, when you think about when people bring in the problem of good and evil and God. It's kind of like, well, how do you? How can we even suggest that there is an evil if we don't even first suggest that there is a God or a moral lawgiver to even make to even make an action evil or good? Um, is that something you run across when you're dealing with um, students, maybe not thinking through the implications of the question? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I mean, I and and, and I think. I don't think people realize the inconsistencies in their argument. I agree with you that, that looking at the particular situation that's happening may be horrible, and I agree with you that it's horrible. But to say God is somehow wrong in it means that you are inferring two things. God is somehow wrong for allowing you to infer two things. Number one, you're implying that humans have worth. There's a value to every human being. So this injustice or this wrong or this evil that's happening is happening to a human being that's making you upset. Nobody's going to scream <clears throat> uh, scream at God or raise their fists at God if I wake up in the morning and I step on a cockroach, okay? Nobody feels like God was unjust for allowing me to do that. But if I was to wake up in the morning and step on a human, that would be a different thing. Why? Because there's a difference between humans and cockroaches. In other words, humans have a certain value that is attributed to them. Now, I can say that as a Christian, but the minute you deny Christianity is true, the minute you deny that there is any there that there is a God who gives every person intrinsic body and worth. Well, then why does it matter what I do to a person? We're all just products of stardust. We um, are, are just products of random time plus matter plus chance. We're just dirt, really, at our core. That's really all that there is. So why would you be upset with that? Uh, an, an example, actually, this happened on Twitter. Something similar happened on Twitter where um, Richard Dawkins, probably the world's most famous atheist, um, a woman was on Twitter, and a woman tweeted out that she doesn't know what she would do. She was also an atheist. She said, I don't know what I would do if I found out that I was pregnant with a uh, childhood Down syndrome. Well, Richard Dawkins' response was, abort it and try again. It would be immoral to bring it into the world if you have the choice. Why would he say that? Now, I'm not talking about abortion or pro-life, pro-life, that's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm focusing on is the fact that he says it's immoral. In other words, it is fundamentally wrong. You are violating a moral code if you allow this child to assist. Now, obviously, he took a lot of flack. A lot of people were, were very angry with him and responded back on Twitter. But he wasn't trying to be a jerk. He was being an atheist, a consistent atheist, was saying, look, there is, let me deny the very concept and idea of God then there isn't any intrinsic value to, every one, to any one of us. So that means, essentially, 
that the value as a person that you have is whatever we as society say you have. We give you your value. And so therefore, to this person who is pregnant with Down syndrome, he's saying, we society can determine that that child is not valuable. Therefore, you can afford it and it's okay. So if you make these accusations against God, they're not realizing that they're assuming that human life has value. And the minute you say it doesn't, is the minute you're going to step into what Richard Dawkins was saying, was like, look, they're not important. Don't even let them live. Let's carry on and try again. Second thing that people don't realize is that they're implying that God has violated some sort of moral code. There is a there is a right and wrong that exists, and God, you violate it. You were supposed to intervene in this suffering or this pain. You were supposed to do something about it. And what's interesting is, like, where do you get that moral code? How do you know that? Who told you that was right and wrong? And obviously, it opens up into a whole other realm of things. But you're still lost, left with the same conclusions. How do we truly know how we are to live? How what, what social justice causes we are to fight for it? If we don't even know what's right, how do we know then who to stop? And so I think when people are making accusations against God, they're not realizing that they're assuming these things to be true about uh, the situation. Atheism does not provide us with an absolute morality because it's kind of getting back to what you're saying. It applies a moral lawgiver. But if there's no moral lawgiver, then how do we know that, that particular thing is wrong? And so the atheist then has to wrestle and they say, well, we can, we, we can decide morality for ourselves. I can determine what's good for me. I want to live like a good human. I want to do the best for society. And I think we need that. I do. I think they want to do what's best for society and best for the world and want to do good things. I truly believe that they're serious. But the problem then is other people don't want to do those things and they don't care to do those things. And so they don't. How is it that you can tell them that they're wrong to live within their moral framework that they've created, but you're okay to live within your moral framework that you've created? And so it leaves us in this place where there's inconsistencies. In order for us to make these accusations of suffering and evil, we have to have a moral person, a moral lawgiver that holds every human being accountable on the planet, regardless of where you are, race, ethnicity, any of these things. It holds them all accountable. And so we are all then, when, 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 a, when a wrong happens, we have, that is something that a wrong that any one of us, had we been in their shoes, would have been guilty of committing wrong as well. We're all held to the same standard. So, those are some reasons I think the inconsistencies that I find when it comes to these things of suffering and evil. Because mm -hmm. the, the atheist worldview sometimes has the assumption that human beings at the core are good and they will do what's best yes. without, the, without God's ex existence. And I always point to uh, Lord of the Flies, even though it's fiction, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, a story that would be uh, something that really happened would be the Book of Judges, I think. Throughout the book of Judges, he's always saying that every the author is always saying that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And then you kind of see the culmination of that at the end of Judges with the Levite and the concubine, how when people pursue justice in their own um, in their own way, how it can get uh, kind of misconstrued. And it shows the chaos that ensues when people kind of go about justice in their own way. So um, I think kind of this idea that humans are. Um, inherently good kind of doesn't look at the evidence of human history um, to see all the horrendous things humans have done pursuing justice in their own eyes and doing what was right in their own eyes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I fully agree. History tells us that that mindset hasn't really brought us to a better world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What resources would you recommend for people who are um, trying to 
to interact with people who who question the existence of God or who are questioning themselves? Okay, so that's a that's a great question. Um, I think there's several different books. I, I wouldn't recommend just one because I think it's good to gather a lot of information, and I don't think one book just answers everything. Mm -hmm. um, I think Robbie Zacharias's Jesus Among Other Gods is a great book to talk about Jesus in comparison to other different religions. Um, and does he, how does he answer um, our deepest questions in life? Uh, I'd also recommend The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel. I think it helps us and helps answer questions that that people have in regards to um, suffering, um, in regards to just different different popular issues we have with Christianity. And so I would recommend The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel, Rodney Zacharias's Jesus Among Other Gods. Also, and specifically for atheism, um, Dr. Andy Bannister wrote a book called uh, The Atheist Who Doesn't Exist. And I would recommend that book as well. I think it, it just really um, deconstructs some popular atheistic arguments and shows some of the errors and the fallacies uh, within them. And so I would definitely recommend that book as well. Dr. Andy Bannister, The Atheist Doesn't Exist. Uh, I think those are really good starting points to kind of the atheist doesn't exist more for people who are dealing with atheists specifically. But I think the other two would help even help anybody, Christian or Christian or not, regardless of the circumstances, to help understand really who what Christianity teaches and who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I find so often when I'm encountering or when I'm in conversation with people is how little people actually understand about what Christianity truly teaches. Uh, so, for example, I'll speak to somebody who's an atheist and they'll say, but Christianity says this and it says this. And I'm like, where does it say that? How do, you, how do you know that? Where did you get that from? And really what's happening is people are reading websites. They're reading this random website that said this particular thing and they form this whole argument around it. And it's, that's actually not what Christianity teaches or says. Uh, so I think books like this would be really helpful for anybody who's really seeking to understand the truth about Christianity and the importance of Jesus. Who is he? What makes him different than Muhammad? What makes him different than Joseph Smith? Uh, what makes him different than any other prophet or teacher that has ever lived? You know, he, he didn't just claim to have wisdom. He didn't claim to have truth. He claimed to be the truth and to be divine, be God himself. That's a big deal. And that's some pretty, like, audacious claims. So you better be uh, really know what you're talking about to walk around and claim such profound things. But I think he did. I think he knew exactly what he was talking about and, he, and he's worth looking at. So I think those resources would be really, really helpful. Awesome. Um, is there anything you else you would like to say on this topic that we haven't already covered? Uh, you know, I think one thing I'd like to maybe add is this idea of blind faith. Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes people look at Christians and say, you have a blind faith. And in other words, this idea that we are just following because somebody gave us a book and that's what we're just, we're just, we're just believing in, as if there isn't anything to it. And I, I, I think that is so the opposite of Christianity. Uh, in Christianity, we are able to explore the deeper, I wouldn't even say deeper, we are able to explore the surrounding evidences and pieces around the Christian gospel. And I love that. Uh, I, I love that we are encouraged to. The Bible says that uh, we have to love the Lord of God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
So God welcomes us to love him with our minds and to experience him in that way. So Christianity is very far from a blind faith. In fact, it's the, the, the popular story of from the dead. He appears to some of the disciples, not all of them, and he appears to them, and then Thomas isn't there. The disciples say to Thomas, look, we've seen Jesus, we've seen Jesus. And he says, no, unless I see the nail prints in his hands and touch the nail prints in his hands and touch his side, I won't believe. And so later on, Jesus appears to him and he says, Thomas, look, you want to see, you want to touch? Here I am. And what is Tom and, and then Jesus looks at Thomas and says, now stop doubting and believe. And Thomas responds, you know, my Lord and my God. In other words, Jesus provides Thomas with evidence. Thomas, you want evidence? I'm going to give it to you. Look at them and see it. God never demands uninformed acceptance of him. And I think a lot of times that is what the perception of Christianity is, uninformed acceptance. But just like Thomas, we have to get to the point where we're willing to either accept the evidence. At some point, we have to accept what's there. When I encounter an atheist and I say to them, look, I can give you a lot of evidences for Christianity. What is your evidence for atheism? And they don't really have an answer. They say, well, we're, we're not, we're, we're, we're just, we're, it's a negative. It's a double negative and, and, and all this kind of things. And we don't have to prove anything. And it's like, well, wait a minute. But you accuse me of having blind faith. You have no evidence for yours. There is a blind faith happening here, but it's not the Christian faith. And that's exactly what, you know, what it is. And I point out to them, somebody is following blindly, but I don't think it's me. And so I think that's just one of the things that I, I want people to, to remember is that Christianity is not a blind faith. It never has been. Jesus gave evidence and he even talked to us. Believe in me, if not for the evidence of the miracles themselves, he did all of these things to demonstrate who he was. And nothing has changed from then to now. We are still able to look for evidence for Christianity to get a better understanding of who exactly Jesus is and what his message is. And so I think that's just one thing that I just would like to encourage all the listeners in or just remind them of or inform them of depending on where they are, is that Christianity offers a lot. It offers the ability to be connected with your creator. And it doesn't say just here, just accept this idea. It says, let me tell you how what you wish was true really is true. And it's good news, and it's a good thing. And um, I don't know, I think it's one of the things I love about it, that I don't have to, I don't have to forsake my mind in order to believe. Amen. I agree. I agree. For those who want to get in contact with you, how would they do that? Ah, okay. Well, I'm on Twitter. Um, and so you can find me on Twitter. It's at Alicia Wood 88. So it's A-L-Y-C-I-A-W-O-O-D 88. Uh, you can do that. That's always a good place. Um, and I would say that's probably the best place, really, is Twitter is probably really good and, and, and easy. So you can follow me on Twitter. Twitter's fun on Twitter. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Alicia. I think I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it as well. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. You can catch all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com backslash podcast. You can follow us on iTunes by searching Jude 3 Project. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Jude 3 Project, on Instagram at Jude 3 Project, and on Facebook at facebook.com. Um, backslash Jude 3 project and remember you can donate on our site so if this um, this podcast and this ministry is a blessing to you help support us financially um, by going on our website at Jude3project.com and hitting the donate tab um, and donating consider donating to us 
Thank you so much. Remember at the Jew 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.